Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast and wow, what a year it's been. We're coming to the end of the year and 2020 has been full of surprises as I uh, sit down and publish this podcast. We're just in the process of seeing a new incoming US president and with him new policies, new impacts on the market new impacts on investments and the way we think about our money. And I was taken back last week because I caught up with one of my really good friends, a mentor of mine, Justin, and he pointed to the fact that in a previous podcast episode, the one with Steph Davies and I, I spoke about the impacts of saving your money in the bank in an ultra low interest rate environment and how I think it's a really, really bad deal to be saving your money and putting your money in cash and basically getting, if you're lucky, half a percent or 1% and somebody else comes and borrows that money from the bank, borrows your money and goes and invests it and gets the upside on that. And it brought to my mind the need to reinforce a concept I've been talking about now for a few years and and a concept that I fundamentally believe in, that savers in this type of environment are losers. Now, as I sat down and I thought about how I can share these insights and, and dwell on them and articulate them better for you this week, did a little bit of research and I found that one of my inspirations, an investor that I've been following and learning from for many, many years, Ray Dalio, recently sat down and articulated this point a lot better than what I've tried to do this year. So I'm glad that there's listeners out there that are hearing the message, are understanding the message. And I hope this episode opens up your mind to how I think and how I believe many successful investors out there and the current environment where we are seeing record low, ultra low, zero interest rates, how they're thinking and how they're preparing and how they view cash in the bank and how I think we can learn from them. And so this is going to be a slightly shorter episode than what we've had over the past few weeks, but it's going to be an impactful episode, and it's one that I'm really excited in bringing to you. I've called it the Success Starter Pack, and I think if you can digest this, if you can listen to it, you're going to go into 2021 with a great lead, a great mindset for success. So I hope you're doing well. I hope you have a fantastic week. God bless you and I'll connect with you next week with a different topic. But for now, let's go to Ray Dalio and see what he thinks is the best way to think about savings, cash and investing in 2021. Well, I do want to talk about my generation, the millennials. We were really coming of age during the crisis 
Um, so how would you advise us to prepare, a, and, and I guess, what would you tell our generation? Uh, we feel scarred from the crisis. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think one of the problems is that the experience that you had as the last experience is the one that's going to stick in your mind and probably will not be the one that's going to get you. So that the next experience will be very, very different. Um, I, I know my, uh, my parents went through the Great Depression and then they missed out on the boom because then uh, they were always thinking about mm -hmm. that. And so I think, um, I think that what they need to do is see all of those crises. That's why you can see inflationary ones and see all of those. And once you get that perspective, I would say three things to your generation, okay? Three recommendations. The first recommendation is to, th is to think about your savings and how much money do you have for savings. And the best way to think about that is to think, how much money do I spend each month and how much money do I have saved so that I can, how many months am I going to be okay without that? And to value savings, right? And, and calculate it because savings in that is freedom and security and think about what that is. So that's, that's the first, what, how much do I have for that? The second thing is how do I save well? What should I put my saving in? And when thinking about what you should put your saving in, realize that the least risk investment that you think from volatility is the least risk investment, it, which is cash, is the worst investment over a period of time. And you could judge that by judging the rate of inflation in relationship to the after-tax income you're going to earn. So if you have an inflation rate that's 2 or 3% and you're earning 1% and you have to pay taxes on that 1% or the 1 or 2% that you're going to get, you're going to get taxed essentially at 2% a year and that's going to be a problem. So you have to move into assets that are um, uh, other assets that are going to do better over a period of time. And when you do that, the most important thing I, I can convey to you is to diversify well. Because I can guarantee you that one of those assets, and you won't be able to pick the right one, will be disastrous in your lifetime. That you will lose half of that savings if you're in the wrong one, and you won't know what the right one is. And so pick different countries, pick different um, asset classes, and I could probably take too long explaining how you might do that. But, but so that would be the, the second thing to learn. For, first thing is think about how to save. Be cautious about debt. When you're thinking about debt, think about is that debt going to help my savings or is it going to produce an income? Sometimes debt, like buying a house or buying an apartment or buying an asset, it produces forced savings. Forced savings is a good thing. Or if you're taking on debt and you're thinking, am I going to have that debt in an asset, that asset better produce more income than the asset, than the cost of your debt. If you're using debt for consumption, that's not a good thing to do. Okay, you're giving up that, uh, that safety. So I want, so number one is think about how much you save and think about whether that should be uh, and what, how you borrow. Number two, um, make sure that you think about the diversification of that, not in cash. Um, and number three, do the opposite of what your instincts are. If you're going to play the game, um, it has to be the opposite of what your instincts in the crowd says, because the market reflects the crowd. So you want to buy when no one wants to buy. 
and you want to sell when no one wants to sell, right? right. So, and that's emotionally difficult, um, and probably you're not going to play that game well because it takes a lot of resources to play the good. I'm, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars each year to try to play that game well, and it's a tough game to play well. Mm -hmm. So I would caution you about the market timing game, but I would say that if you're going to do it, do it in the ways that are uncomfortable because they're opposite your instincts. That's really good advice, Ray. Um, one more thing that really resonated with me in the book was if in the next downturn, um, some of the implications could be the impact on pension obligations, health care. Is my generation going to be on the hook for that? Yeah. So we pay a lot of attention to debt, and we should, but pension obligations and health care obligations are just like debt. They're obligations that require cash to fund those things. And when you think about that, uh, we don't have uh, enough money to fund those things. And so there'll be a squeeze. And I think that's also part of this political conflict, because when you say to somebody that you're not going to be able to fully fund their pension, or how are you going to fund it, what are you going to take it away from in order to fund it? Or if you think about uh, the health care issues and so on with the demographics, and it, those require taking things away from people mm -hmm. that have been promised to people. And, or do you print the money? These are issues that will be important for your generation. And you know, not only are you an incredible money manager, but you're also a really big philanthropist. And when you're talking about the next downturn, you're also bringing up some big social issues, the wealth gap. How do you think about that? How do, how do we address this issue? Because it sounds like it's going to be a very big problem. Yeah. I think uh, capitalism has got to work for all the people. And democracy has got to work for everybody. And, and we're in a situation right now because of a lot of things that it's not working for a large portion of the bottom 60%. I separated the averages to the bottom 60% and the top 40%. I could have done it the 80% or even 95%. Um, and it's not working for a large percentage of the population. We don't have adequate education. We don't create bottoms in many cases. My, my wife um, works in Connecticut to try to help uh, what are called disen uh, disengaged and disconnected youth. Look, give you a picture. Connecticut, which is the richest state in the country, or, or equal to the richest state in the country, has 22% of its high school students are disengaged or disconnected. Disengaged means they attend uh, high school, but they don't really study, they just sort of get through. And uh, disconnected means they don't even know where they are. 22%. Now those students, those people are going to be on the street. That's a problem. There are school districts um, in which they have to share books or in some cases even have to share pencils. They literally will break a pencil in half and, and um, sharpen it from both ends or pass it around and so on. And uh, those that issue about opportunity in terms of education or even income opportunity. Um, there's a population um, that in that bottom 60% where opiate use is rising and, um, and suicides are rising. That, I think there has to be considered a, a national emergency in which we create metrics. What are those conditions? And that there should be a dealing with that. I think that these things can be done, dealt with much, much better. Um, but it has to be treated in a way that that's dealt with. And that has, by making them productive, I don't mean by giving money or be, by giving welfare. 
but by doing certain things, probably in private-public partnerships, in which the private sector, that could be business sector, together with the government sector, can, can do the checks and balances to make those things productive. I see many of these cases. I fund, for example, uh, microfinance. Grameen America is one, but a number of those. Uh, and, and the capacity to lend somebody $1,000 and, and get paid back, 99%, 98% payback rates. Um, and, and that $1,000 uh, can create a, the purchase of a rug cleaning piece of equipment. And that person's in business to be able to be productive. Those kinds of things need to be thought about because if we don't have capitalism working for the majority of people, it's, not, it's going to be threatened. And the same thing as democracy. The democracy is based on the notion of compromise to be able to bring people together and so on. I think if we have too much fragmentation, I think that these are the biggest risks. I think debt crises can be managed, but when you get into a bad situation, uh, as a basic principle, if you have rich and poor living together, and they have to decide how they're going to spend a budget, how they divide a pie, and you have an economic downturn, you're probably going to have a conflict. And I think that has to be dealt with.